The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi there, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host today. Kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy, a media producer. I run our website with online courses called YouThriveHere.com. I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen. Sarah is the author of Spiritual Rebel, a Positively Addictive Guide to Finding Deeper Perspective and Higher Purpose. And your book is addictive, I have to say. So, you know, I hope that's not of concern to you. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, Jim, that I'm not false advertising. Positively <laughs> addictive is the important part there. That's true. Positively addicting. So we're going to have uh, Teresa Pushkar on today, and she's got a book um, about morning practices. I wondered, uh, what kind of practices do you do in the morning? And, you know, are you a morning person? Are you a, a late person? What what uh, What's your pattern? Well, I was really, really grateful to read this book because I am not a morning person naturally. I am someone who has a really, really rich, beautiful dream life. And so because of that, I like to stay in bed in the morning. Like I'm still doing stuff in this other world and having stories and adventures. And so I'm one of those people who hits the snooze button, much to my husband's uh, annoyance, like <laughs> every five minutes for an hour. <laughs> I really oh do. And then a couple times a year, I swear I'm going to get better about morning practices. And I set my alarm for like 4.30 a.m. so I can get up and meditate or do different things. And then I let myself down. So I have to say my I'm I'm really more of an evening kind of person. Practices in my life really um, are to help me unwind from the day. And so what I really appreciated about this book was the idea of how we start our days is important, um, not just how we end them. How about you? Well, will we be getting up at 4.30 a.m. now again? No, but now now I've said that on the radio. <laughs> and and I do have to say that the folks that I learned how to meditate from do meditate at 4.30. They call that time Amrit Vela, which is the sweetness, the sweet time of the morning. And the idea uh, for them, for those that I learned from, was that at that time, um, God or the divinity or whatever word you use is just starting to awake with the world and can hear you more easily 
hmm. when everyone else is still sleeping. So 4.30 is a really great time to talk to God. I just can't wake up. <laughs> well, you know, with me, I used to be a late person and I would get up late in the morning. So, you know, I you just couldn't get me up earlier. And then at some point, a switch went off in my head and I just, I suddenly became a morning person where I, I get so much done in the morning and I, I wake up fairly early and it's just, it's, it's actually become very valuable for me. So when I say morning, it is in 4.30 a.m. You know, we're talking more 6, 7 a.m. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's really strange. It's interesting how my, my whole shift has happened. Um, I, I used to also be a late person. I'd get places late. Now I get there an hour early. You know, I, I don't know what that's all about, but uh, some shift happened for me. Did that happen when your when your family structure changed? I know that sometimes when people have kids, they have to become more early risers. No, it actually no? It just happened a couple of years ago. I would ah. say it just kind of spontaneous, spontaneous morningness. I guess you might call it. Now that's the name of a book: spontaneous <laughs> morningness. Yes, I'll get right on that. Right on that. Uh, so for the morning practices, I usually, I usually spend some time at least. 15 minutes doing some meditation. And by meditation for me is, you know, I, I put on kind of uh, very meditative music, kind of uh, water sounds and gongs and that sort of thing really helps calm my mind and try to, you know, stop my monkey mind from is that okay to use? Stop well, yeah, I'm actually on a ploy not to say monkey mind. Let's just say busy mind, busy mind. <laughs> busy mind, uh, you know, try to put that aside, uh, but not judge it too much. And then I do, I've actually been doing what, what, uh, what Royce has taught us. I've been doing scripting where you write out your, your, your wants, your desires, your intentions, and then you talk about your beliefs and then you write about a script for the day. And, um, these two things have really helped me. Um, I sometimes do the five step, uh, spiritual mind treatments, if there are that uh, Ernest Holmes talks sure. about. Um, so it's a combination of these things for me. What I don't do is I'm sort of the opposite of you in that I always want to at night, um, you know, write down my reflections of the day and do all that stuff. But, you know, I, as I get older, I go to, I get sleepy so much earlier, I can't stay up. And so it's like my, my mind would be you know, you'd see the handwriting fall off the page if I tried to do that at night, because I just I get tired, I got to go to bed. Well, that's what happens for me in, in the morning, I throw an I Ching or a Yi Jing as part of my morning practices to, to figure out, you know, kind of what's coming for the day, or how do I want to focus. So it's scripting in, in a sense as well. And then at night, when I write, it does, I fall asleep while I'm writing. And I think it's that idea of, of well, if I was going to say, can computer terminology, flushing the cash, or just getting everything out of my mind. I do have one that just goes and goes and goes and goes. And that idea of allowing it to just release is is really what helps me helps me fall asleep. And it, in the morning and at night, I both bookend with spiritual reading. Mm. So that helps too. Sure, definitely, definitely. All right. Do you have a quote for me today? I do. <laughs> and this one should be no surprise after I utter it. Here we go. 
Maybe it's time to decide I am going to wake with joy and enthusiasm each morning and treat myself to simple delights that awaken my soul. Oh, I like that. That's very, that's very happy. It is happy. Uh, that's Mary Davis in Everyday Spirit. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I have to say that I don't always uh, awake with joyfulness and, and spirit. I don't and... either. This is this is aspirational, and I'll let you know tomorrow how I do. That sounds like a plan. That sounds like a plan. Here's my quote. The truth is that this world is full of love. This world is an embodiment of the bliss of God. Look at the trees. God's love is vibrating in them. Look at the water. God's love is vibrating in water. Look at the faces of all the people. God's love is vibrating there. Oh, I love that. God's love is vibrating in water. Yeah. Wow. Who's that? Swami Martinananda. I can't I can't pronounce his name. Swami. You know what? We're gonna start doing a little Sanskrit lessons with You're you. You're right. We are, because once you 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 cut the words into small syllables, they start to roll off a little easier. Merton Mertananda. Mertananda. There it is. Swami Mertananda. <laughs> there we go. I will learn. I will take these Sanskrit lessons. All right. Are you ready to jump into the episode? Let's do it. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Hi, friends. It's Martha Creek. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. The segment uh, is on today in building and cultivating and growing, expanding resilience and resiliency. And it includes a practice of receiving. Receiving. Now, some of us, us helper types, you may be one if you're listening. You know, we got a whole strand of helping. We want to give and give and give and give and give. It's like, okay, then for my own shoring up uh, to be as open to receive, to receive, formally receive, informally receive. So for example, when I hear anybody singing happy birthday to anybody in the world, I imagine that they're singing to me. So every time I hear the song happy birthday, I believe it's for me. Now it's not my birthday, actually. It's not my birthday, literally. But I'm receiving the joy of that song, the joy of the notes, the joy of the friendship, the joy of the gathering, the joy of the celebration. So I'm not waiting for my birthday. I'm receiving that every single time I hear that song. So increasing ways to receive. It could be that uh, I see somebody else get a gift. Do they get to unwrap a gift? And I receive that gift as though it was given to me. Now, I don't have the gift. I may not necessarily want the gift, but I want the feeling of that. I want the remembering of that. I want the imagination of that, the causative use of my imagination to go, I, they've got the gift and I got it too. So they received a gift and I received a gift. And then to be open to receiving. So I watched with my little great niece, who I love very much, and her joy in receiving money and getting a card and there being money in it. And then I caught there was even a better joy for her because it was her time. We were sending a card to one of her family members. And she said, ah, I know, I want to put some money in it. And I said, you do? She said, yes. And I said, are you going to use your money to put in it? She said, yes, of course. 
So she went to her own little wallet. She's four years old. She went to her own little wallet, got out money that somebody had given to her, put it in the card to this family member, and felt delighted about it. So giving and receiving and finding more and more informal and formal ways to do this, structured and unstructured, planned and spontaneous, to express and receive all in one transaction for resiliency building, for resiliency, for well-being in my soul, for the ability to cope with things that could be challenging up the road, more of a loss, how I can shore myself up today, resilience building. How will you do it today, friends? All blessings as you do it. I bow to you, MarthaCreek.com, to contact me. Funniest Thing Guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everybody. My name is Edward Biagioti. I'm the co-host of Funniest Thing right here on Unity Online Radio. And I am here to talk about mindset at work, how to use spiritual principles to have a more fulfilling, satisfying, even joyful work life. And one of the things that I've really learned and I've been practicing, particularly even today and this week, is making something my own turning it into an internally motivated project instead of an externally motivated project. At work, it can easily become a thing where it feels like, oh, I'm just doing this for them or for my boss or for my supervisor or, in my case, for my students or whoever it is. And there is some truth to that. But what really makes it joyful and fulfilling and satisfying for me is when I do it for myself, when I do it for the joy of doing it, when I affirm the best for the project that I'm doing, when I apply my own vision to what I am doing, when I allow it to bubble up from within me and pour my whole self, my heart, my mind, my spirit, my body, everything into the joy of what I'm doing. You know, they say when you enjoy what you're doing, you never work a day in your life when you really enjoy it. And the beauty is we can turn anything into a joyous experience by letting go of this external fear-driven motivation and coming from a place of inspiration and pouring that inspiration and that love and God into everything we do. That's my two cents. Have a great day. It's so good to be with you on Big Universe. And now it's time for our interview. Teresa Pushkar is a skilled author, transformation leader, and edutainer. She's written over 50 study guides and books, her most recent being Eight Ways to Declutter Your Brain, I Need My Brain Decluttered, and The Good Morning Mind, Nine Essential Mindfulness Habits for the Workplace. A professional audiobook producer, director, and actress, her television credits include The X-Files, The New Adams Family, and The Judge. Now, you know you've got our hearts there because we're sci-fi geeks. So, you know, any X-Files mention, you're, you're in. <laughs> yeah. she, re she recently received critical acclaim for her solo show, Causeless Joy, which she toured throughout the U.S. and Canada. The founder of Edutainment Productions, she weaves psycho-spiritual teachings with profound and often hilarious storytelling into all that she does. For additional information about Teresa, Teresa Pus Pushkar. P-U-S-K-A-R dot com. Teresa, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us on Big Universe. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, you know, the first uh, question we have to ask is, okay, connection to the X-Files. I knew it. That's always the first question. How, how <laughs> you mean we're not original? How you is are. that? What, what is that? Uh, what is that about? 
it's a fun story. I was an actress in Toronto. I ended up moving to Vancouver, Canada because I wasn't getting as many gigs as I should. And one of the casting directors said, go west. And I've always loved the mountains and the ocean. So I went off to Vancouver. I auditioned for the X-Files. I got swarmed by 60,000 bees. Oh, oh my no. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Real bees. My, my character was Miss Kemper. She was a teacher. And I had once been really stung by a, a bee and got quite reactive. But you know, actors, we're all whatever we can get. So I ended up, there was paramedics there. It was myself and 30 kids. They had beekeepers and all of the techies were in those bee outfits, except for Kim Manners, the, the cool director who had a cigar and was in his regular clothes. They yell action and these beekeepers shook these massive boxes. Oh 60,000 bees everywhere. I didn't have to act. I just went insane. It was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> My great claim to fame. I wow. hope those bees were compensated as well as you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I walked up to the paramedics first thing. I introduced myself. I talked to the bees and kind of said, hey, guys. And do you know that myself and these 30 kids, it wasn't until around four in the afternoon after a lot of the bees had been trampled that one of the kids got stung, but they were playing with the bees. I'm like, guys, those bees are tired too. So now when I see somebody getting upset over one bee, I just laugh hysterically. It's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> oh no, oh no. So you were also a professional audiobook producer and director as well. Um, and you worked with Nightingale Conant. That's fascinating. I always love, I mean, they have such a plethora, plethora, plethora of, material, <laughs> of material there. What was that like uh, for you? That was incredible. I went from Vancouver and that was another fun story where I actually kind of said, okay, universe, this acting thing is crazy highs and lows. I'm open to other things. And I was a counselor at Clear Mind International and Nightingale Conant invited them down to Chicago to do a weekend workshop. And I was engaged to a man in Chicago. So I walked the halls of Nightingale going, I'm supposed to work here. I approached the president after the weekend workshop and said, I'm going to come work for you. He's like, no, nah, no, 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 we, we, we're downsizing. No, I'm going to come work for you. We, we couldn't pay you. I'm said, I'm going to come work for you. So a month later, they called me and asked me to be at a shoot for an infomercial for Psychic, Sonia Choquette. And then they asked me to start some coaching programs. So I became the director of coaching programs and later loved the production end of things and ended up in the studio with my very favorite authors interviewing like you're doing here and, and having a wonderful time. So it was very, I thought I'd never love anything as much as performing and I loved producing. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really interesting. So um, I thought we'd concentrate on one of your latest books, and that is The Good Morning Mind, Nine Essential Mindfulness Habits for the Workplace. And, and you know, I personally, I feel like as a society, we could really change our experience if we had a healthier way of approaching work. So that's why I really appreciate your book. Uh, we spend so much time at the workplace that it seems crazy that we don't spend more time being mindful about this. Absolutely, Jim. It's really important. And this is beyond mindfulness in the traditional sense of just being conscious or meditating at work. It's more about, you know, there's a whole movement now, especially after the Enron issue about integrity, about mm -hmm. yes. honesty and building teams from the heart as opposed to the ego. And so this book focuses more on whole mindfulness as having a, a, a corporation or even a new young entrepreneur, a business that's based on that whole mindfulness and conscientiousness concept. Why is it important to start things off with a good morning mind? That seems like a silly question, but. 
Well, it's great, Jim. How many of us have lied in bed, especially as we get older? I start, I don't ever sleep through the night anymore. I wake up, I go to sleep, wake up, go to sleep. And for years I would get up and I get worked up. Oh my God, it's two o'clock in the morning. I've only had three hours sleep and I've got to get, oh my God, I, I get all worked up. And so finally it came to the point where I was like, you know what, this is not serving me well. So I learned to just lay in bed and start saying yes and start relaxing. I would start focusing on the next day at work because how many of us literally dread going into the office or going to our, our business? So it's a matter of shifting the mindset instead of getting anxiety and not being able to sleep further. I would go to a place of peace and I would close my eyes, focus on the goodness of my life, that which I'm grateful for and anticipation of the day ahead. And I would see my heart opening and say a big fat yes and a big huge thank you and i found that put me in a wonderful peaceful place and so that my day was already starting at that point in a positive way because we all know you start negative you're downhill from there what time do you get up in the morning i, I say this because sarah and oh, I were jim Sarah and I were talking earlier about how she's not a morning person, and I used to be—I uh, used to be a late person, but now I am kind of a morning person. What time do you get up to in order to prepare for that, or or how long before your workday starts should you should you start this practice? Well, I'm a morning person. I end up waking up at four, and then I'm thinking this is ridiculous. I go back to sleep till about six, six thirty. But what I'm finding is this: is if I go to bed at nine thirty the night before, I wake up at six. If I go to bed at one o'clock in the morning, I wake up at six. So for me, it's a matter of not worrying about it too much. And the, the more it happens, the more I'm like, I get the sleep I get. And then once a week, I'll end up having like a marathon of, of a nine hour sleep. So it's usually around six, 6.30 I get up. And I and just, I'm full of life and just, whoa, let's get going. So do you bounce right out of bed, Teresa? I do, Sarah. I'm one of those. My, my husband and my daughter find it very obnoxious because they are not morning people. So whenever we get together, if I'm jumping up in the morning, they're like, Teresa, go away. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're up till three in the morning doing their thing and I'm, I'm long gone. So yeah. Yeah. I, I have furry alarm clocks. Yeah, they, they, they are the ones who try to wake me up while I push them away. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm really wondering, because Jim and I were talking about this and as we got started today about why, why do we sometimes have a hard time getting into this kind of morning mindset? I think that we are addicted to old programming. I think we're immersed in a world, you know, I have the radio on and this past year, especially with all the negativity, I don't listen to it. I couldn't watch TV most of the time. So we start, we have all this input we're not even aware of. So I think for us, it's, it's we're programmed for the negativity. We're programmed for the drama. We're programmed to expect that. And so it's a matter of reprogramming and, you know, staying away from some of that media. I, I just can't watch the crime stuff anymore. I can't watch the stuff about, you know, the world's going to end tomorrow. It just, it still doesn't resonate. And so it's, I believe it's a reprogramming. And so many of us start our day in dread, wait till Friday. You know, there's more suicides on Monday than any other day. And so it's a matter of going, okay, it's, it works both ways. It's, loving what you're doing or doing something that you love. So if you are in a job and you really feel stuck there and you've got to try and find a way to make it work. 
And if you can't, then find something that you love. I've been lucky because all of my career paths have been so joyful and so in sync with my mindset and my heart. So I feel blessed. There's a sentence. There's a sentence you say in the book that really, really grabbed me. I, I circled it. I highlighted it. There's a star next to it, I think. And it says, I suggest that the mind is always full. Our challenge or opportunity is to get comfortable with its fullness in time. Our relationship with it will shift. We will be able to get to a place of quieting, even in spite of it. And so I was wondering, you know, I have a lot of students who, who believe that mindfulness or that meditation is about the mind being empty or being completely clear. Could you talk a little bit about, uh, I didn't get that idea from you and from reading the book. Could you talk about your idea about this fullness and emptiness? Sure. Well, I believe that we all have a sense, and I believe it's a misguided sense that we need to get this mind quiet. And I feel that that can be the ego's trapping, right? Once I get this thing quieted, and so we get so lost, it's, it's a matter of repressing. It's a matter of trying to manipulate and control something we can't control. What I loved, one of my teachers in India talked about our thoughts being part of the thoughtmosphere, just like our, our, the air we breathe is part of the atmosphere. So thoughts come into this mind, they come and go. They're thoughts that are all around us. So if we can get to the point where we're at ease, with the fact that this stuff's going to keep coming in and go, oh, there's another one. <laughs> Interesting. Then there's a point at which we can start to soften into and get to a place where it does start to quiet. But it's a trick. It's a trick because if you keep going, I'm going to get to that place of quiet as long as I keep acknowledging it's another trap of the ego. So I believe there's always noise there. And for me, oh, the insights, the synchronicities, the moments that have come in despite that noise. And I think a lot of it, Sarah, has to do with intention. If we're fully committed to an intention, it will come in despite all that craziness. So the intention, are you setting a specific, is this just an intention to a mindset or are you saying specific intention of something you want to create that day? I think it's both, Jim. I think setting a mindset. I was tough on myself when I was young, and I believe that most of us are our own worst critics. And so I knew in my early 20s, I had a life intention, which was to fall madly in love with myself and to help others do the same. And especially through my creativity, like my one woman show, my writing, create a world where they feel safe to do that. So that's a broad intention that I created. And then we get to the specific intentions. And it can be as crazy as when I was living in Vancouver, I was moving to Chicago and starting my career, my new life there. And I set an intention that I wanted to sell my whole apartment. I wanted every piece of furniture, every knickknack. I wanted somebody to fall in love with it. And that intention was so strong. Well, a couple months later, neighbor brings his girlfriend in and she goes, I, she wants, she says, I want everything. And so again, when you have a very focused, very specific intention, and then it's like Christmas, when the universe conspires and makes it happen, you're like, oh, there's another wonderful gift. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so I think it's both broad and specific to answer your question. Well, we'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you found us. 
This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with Teresa Pushkar. And so I want to dive right into Good Morning Mind Habits. And you've, you have a, a, a handy set of initials here to describe the process or describe the, the habits involved in it. And it's Be Present. The, you take the letters from Be Present for this. Um, I thought we'd just go ahead and roll through and, and have some conversation about each, each of the habits, if that works for you. Absolutely. So we'll start with the first habit. <laughs> B for build. Build a solid foundation based on honor and integrity. Really important, especially these days. I don't think corporations can get away with not having that, right? So it's building that foundation. And again, as we just spoke about intention, what is the intention for the business? And there's no shame in wanting to make money. But if you're a business that puts honor, integrity, the worker, the customer, um, transparency at the forefront as part of your foundation, everything else will follow in a very productive and powerful way. So how can you do this if you're an employee of the company? Obviously, if you're an entrepreneur, you want to set up your, your business this way. But how as an employee somewhere do you, do you approach this, the build section? I think it's a matter of, it's the micro and the macro. It's building your own little organization with the organization. So if your foundation in yourself as a worker is integrity, honor, creativity, innovation, you know, there's that whole competitive mindset. I've been in environments where people will not very openly commend their colleagues. If you're in there and you're going, wow, Susie, you did an awesome job. You rocked. And even if there's an ounce of jealousy inside of you, just proclaiming that out loud, you like yourself more. And you're going to create that kind of environment there. So it can be a part of your own little world as an employee of. Now, integrity, you talk about um, ego versus heart response. And I really like how in the book you, util you utilize these, these dialogues on how you can approach, how the ego might approach it and how the, the heart uh, would, would respond. Um, can you talk a little bit about ego versus heart response and how we can kind of get into that mindset a little bit better? Absolutely. Well, I break it down into three. It's the ego, the heart, and then the expanded awakened state. And I don't claim to be awakened, but I've been privileged enough as a producer to work with some powerful, you know, Dr. David Hawkins and a lot of very awakened souls. So from the ego place, the ego is reactive. It's all about the I. It's very fearful, very self-centered. It's very small and aggressive. So the ego is always in fear. Basically, it's always in fear. It's your fear reaction. Then the heart plays. And the trick is, and again, it's practice and programming. If you are, and trust me, I've I can write about this because I've been there. Ego, huge. So I had been such a reactor. I was the worst customer. So when I became a customer service trainer, I really could speak to those, you know, from that place. But basically the ego is so reactive and responsive. And then what happens is you lash out and then you feel bad and you hate yourself. And there's a spiral of self-contempt. 
and you lash out more and more and more. So it's stopping, taking a breath and saying, going from the heart place. And the heart place comes from a place of I need, I should, how may I serve? It's going beyond the little I, that fear. And it's about to get to the heart place. We, we can't just ignore the ego. And that's another misnomer, I believe. You know, Sarah, you talked about the mind always being cluttered. We keep thinking we're supposed to get rid of this ego. No, we have to befriend that ego. We have to say, hey, ego, thanks so much. I'm not going to go there right now, but love you, but not right now. And so going to the heart place is taking a breath, letting those defenses down. I mean, I used an example in the book and I've done it myself. You have somebody as an employee and they've made an error and they try and cover it up or they try and blame somebody else. For me as management, if I have an employee walk up to me and say, I made a mistake, I really screwed up on this. If they say it with confidence, with a sense of integrity and accountability, I respect them even more because of that. So that's coming from the heart place, ownership, you know, but being confident, I'm doing a good job, I'm gonna continue working, but accountability. And then the awakened state is more of an even higher place. So from awakened state, one can see that the whole dynamic and the drama that just happened was perfect for every element of it. And there's, a, there's even further separation. So in the heart, we're still connected. We still have our own attachments, our own agendas, but we're doing it in a softened way. So we're melting that fear. And then the awakened state, wow, you're not even playing in that drama. You are watching it unfold and you're in a place of incredible bliss. You know, it's like Eckhart Tolle saying, when you go into suffering, when you go into pain, if you fully release to it, there is even bliss in the pain. But we all spend our whole lives emotionally, physically avoiding pain. And in doing that, we're in that fear place and that ego place, as opposed to softening and melting into it. Now you, uh, can I be your employee? Cause you sound like you'd be an, off, an awesome boss. Come on down to Chicago. <laughs> so um, embolden, um, you, one of the things you say in embolden is you suggest a monthly, this is me session with each staff member. Mm -hmm. That's kind of bold actually. Because, I love this idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so talk about embolden and and what is this monthly, you know, session? What what is that about? Well, it's about sharing. And what I did at the end of each chapter of the book is I found creative ways. I was blessed to have worked with Doug Hall as a producer, and he created Eureka Ranch. He was a an inventor for Procter and Gamble. He has his own thing, and it was all about innovation and creativity. And so, at the end of each chapter, I talk about that. And as embolden, and this is me. It's a matter of celebrating and sharing ourselves. And so at perhaps once a month, having a staff member share their life, their photos, their experiences, their stories, their anecdotes, and really bringing to the table who they are. And that would build an intimacy among staff members. You know, we see so much polarity, even in the politics, in the world, different cultures, religions. And my, my husband and daughter and I were talking about all that's going on yesterday. And I said, you hear stories of people that have perpetrated and then the person that they, that they um, were victimizing actually comes to the, to the prison and gets to know them one-on-one -on -one and they develop a relationship. I know there was one woman, her son was murdered and she went and saw the murderer. 
And after he got out of jail, he's now living near her home. Oh my and goodness, so, wow. Yeah, powerful. So getting to the place where we, if we had an intimacy, if I got to know you a little better, Jim or Sarah, as coworkers, there's that softening again of the heart that comes much more naturally. And there's a sense of wanting as a team to be successful, to encourage and to recognize each other. Now, I have to say, Teresa, I have worked in some places where the word heart is not necessarily met with um, a lot of excitement or a lot of, um, oh, I, I've had some eye rolls. So can you talk a little bit about how you work with, with that in an, in an organization with, within this Be Present framework of being heart-centered and coming from the heart uh, if you're in an organization where the word heart makes people run for the door? <laughs> That's a great question, Sarah. As you say, it's the wording and in the way it's structured. And so as opposed to heart, one could say from a sense of self-esteem, self-accountability, acknowledgement of others. So there's ways to do it without even using that dangerous word heart. You know, it's a matter of going from a, and again, it's Mary Ann Williamson. I love her. I produced a couple of programs with her and I saw her at a workshop and I was getting ready to end a career. Didn't know the next one. And she got up and said, Teresa, ask yourself, how may I serve? So even if you had a company or corporation and you made that at the core, and it also means serving ourselves. So it's not saying we're going to become so selfless, you know, and in a false way, because that's not integrous. And that's a big part of this book too, having integrity, going into what's really going on for me, but having that sense of how may I serve? And is this serving myself? Is it serving others? in a way that is positive. So I think it's, it's rhetoric. I think we can, yeah, I understand. I love that question. <laughs> know your audience. audience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, and that does uh, connected to that is the, my thought of, you know, you, you talk about, I mean, the heart stuff and all, there's this kind of, some people refer to it as woo woo, you know, kind of crazy kind of stuff, which we're all about here, of course. Um, but how do you approach an organization when it's not so easy to use some of that language. You just change the language. You change the language and talk about productivity. Talk about end result, right? So if you can talk dollars and cents and you can paint a picture of them, how they are going to improve and become more success, successful bottom line, productivity, staff retention, uh, sales, all of that. If you can paint a picture of how creating this environment will hit the bottom line, they're more open to it. But like you say, you have to be very careful. And you know, it's the way we, the way we embrace the words and how we package what we're going to sell. Okay, so next in be present is placate fear. Ooh, fear is a big one for us. And you say something really interesting, build a fortress and armies will attack. It seems very, of course, in miracles to me. Um, tell me about that and, and dealing with fear. Well, we see it in our culture and it's very prevalent right now. And I've seen it in corporate cultures as well. You build a fortress, you go to that place of defensiveness. You see the competition as the enemy. You don't share, you hold your products and your messages and your wisdom close to your chest. You're going to have a whole environment that reeks of that. You're building that fortress and then the army will come. I have seen businesses where it's like, hey, let's get together. And there's a generosity of spirit. Let's partner. 
here, I'm happy to share this with you. But what comes from that is huge networks, a sense of authenticity, trust, and that is the successful company. And not only that, they feel better going into work. Creating that repressed, closed-hearted environment that is based in fear is so toxic. And I, I think we have been, and I'm sure you guys have your opinions too, but our fear is right in front of our face now. I mean, we are so in the moment of going, are we going to go into our fear? And I liken it to a cliff. We're at a point in a precipice where we can actually choose to fall off the cliff into the sharp, jagged waters below of the fear, or we can take a dive. And if we take a dive into that place of more love and heart and self-accountability, there may just be calmer waters beyond those rocky shores below. You know, so I think it's, and the fear we have to, you know, most of the work I'm doing personally and business-wise right now is around fear. We don't realize, we fool ourselves. Fear is at the core of so much of how we work ourselves and going into our souls, going into, and whether it's going into your books at the business or going into your own heart, where am I in fear here? Oh my goodness, this is fear. And when you feel the body constricting, et cetera. So it's really not just ignoring that fear, listening to that fear, feeling through the fear and then having the fear inform the future choices you make. One of the things you talk about is build security and genius follows. And that really hits me, hits me very well. I mean, um, it's so true that you can't, you can't have genius unless you feel like you're coming from a secure place. So talk to me a little bit about that. You have to feel safe. And when you feel safe, it's delightful. When I was, I did my, some graduate work in directing and became a professional theater director. And when I was doing graduate work, the head of the department was, he created an environment of fear and he was very toxic and he would yell at the actors in rehearsals. And oh that. my gosh, that's so hard to deal with. <laughs> yeah. And the actors just, we, sh they shrunk. Mm -hmm. And so I got into the department and I was all about, I want you to make mistakes. I want you bouncing off the walls. I want you doing the exact opposite of what you think your character brings to the table and selfishly, as a director, I got the most delicious, delightful performances and nuances in the show that were well beyond where my mindset was. Wow, Teresa, that was brilliant. That wasn't me. But creating an environment where people can make mistakes, where they can express, where mistakes are actually applauded. I mean, any business that's smart enough to allow that, you get such genius and creativity because it's, it's, it bubbles. It bubbles and grows. So absolutely having that. And the other is just plain to me, it's kind of dumb, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Being a taskmaster is counter to a work environment. And that is, that's so true. You know, I, I don't know if it fits exactly here, but um, I'm, a great, I'm a creative person. So I'm very uh, left, is it left brain? Right brain, right okay. is... Right brain, yes. <laughs> so I'm very right brain, and I and I have to deal with my left brain colleagues who are very much, you know, let's let's get things done on this schedule and all this stuff. Um, and I think that some of that actually comes from a fear of not getting things done, and also a fear of not for for both sides not getting the results we want. How do you suggest we deal with that sort of uh, connection? Yeah, well, there's two mindsets. There's some mindsets that say, build on what you're the, the talents you already have. So for you, Jim, it would be your creativity. 
Then there's the other mindset that says, no, with the employees, we're going to develop that other part of them that hasn't yet to be developed. And one mindset says, do what you're good at and then create an environment, a community of other workers that bring those elements in, which is more my mindset. So do what you love as opposed to forcing yourself into a shoe that just doesn't fit. So having that space where you can create and where you're encouraged to do so, and then others having, you know, and if you don't, I've had to, you know, bottom line as a creative entrepreneur, I have had to set goals. I mean, these books Absolutely, never yes. written. Yes, yes. <laughs> all the stuff I've done. So there's a part of me that's had to, and all of us as creatives have had to develop that aspect of ourselves. But if we can do it joyfully for me, especially in business, it's creating a support team. So right now I have one woman, Dr. Jan Fortman, and she's a, a psychologist. We meet each week and say, okay, what are we working on? I'm working on this webinar. I'm going to bring this next week. I've got another friend who's a, a creative, he's marketing and sales expert. So we work together. We go a little crazy at times and we have to pull each other in. But if you have support, so where you have what you see or perceive as a weakness or not one of your fortes, have a support system in the business, an accountability system where you're each acknowledging and supporting each other and enhancing each other's production. So speaking of teams and combining people and these tensions we're talking about, if you're someone who's, who's going to try to be mindful or, or work with the, the tactics that you're describing and the tips within your book, does the whole team need to be doing the same thing or can you make headway just on your own by doing these practices? Well, that's a great question, Sarah. Thank you. I believe that one person can affect the whole community just with their actions and intentions. And you're not going to have everybody buy in. A lot of people would just, you know, take me <laughs> kicking and screaming the other way. But the bottom line is, and I've seen it so many times where if you have one or two people in that culture who are cultivating the mindfulness, who are working from the heart, it's infective. I know one of the stories I have in the book, I was a customer service trainer at a resort company. And one of the resorts, they have this old guy come in and he's crotchety and grumpy and that pool's too darn cold. Rah, 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 every day. <laughs> oh, that guy. That I've guy. met that guy. I've been that guy too. I have. Uh, well, yeah, that's fair. That's fair, yeah. Teresa. <laughs> but, you know, one of the staff members, I always said to me, celebrate what I was teaching them in creativity and and customer service, I'd say, share your stories. So this one young woman said, you know, he came in every day and everybody was so down and was just so negative. So one day she noticed he was wearing one of those luminous glow in the dark green bathing suits. And so she walked up to him and said, Mr. Smith, you look so fabulous in that bathing suit. I just love it on you. That one gesture softened his heart. And because she found the good in him, he literally started flipping. He started coming in less. He stopped, started speaking gentler. You know, you think you might turn up the, the heat on the pool a little. That shifted. So we cannot change our coworkers, but we can change our minds about them. I also had a nightingale. I was told after years and years of working from home, president called me into his office and said, Teresa, I need you to start coming in. And it was quite a drive to and from. And I said, are you not happy with my work? He said, no, no, we're very happy with it. But we have others who want to work from home and they don't have the discipline. So right away, my brain started going to everything I don't like about this man. He became the enemy. And I thought, now, how is that serving you or the company? He's doing what he thinks is right. So I said, can I come back in in a week? And he said, sure. 
And for a week, I loved, I started focusing, I listed everything I frustrated me. And then I started every day what I love and respect about this man, what I honor about him. And I wrote and wrote and wrote every day. Seven days later, I get back into his office. I sit down, he goes, Teresa, what the heck have you, I've never seen you this way before. You are, you are so peaceful. You know, get out of my office. Just keep doing what you're doing and I'll worry about those other workers. And all I did was change my mind about him. Now that can be hard in the beginning, especially with people that push our buttons and trigger us. But if we shift just our mindset, one person, it can be magical how the whole culture within an organization can start to shift. That's that's interesting. So I get two things out of that. First, the shift in, in the perspective being so important. And the second is if you have someone who's difficult to work with, compliment their Speedo. Is that what? <laughs> I don't think she said Speedo. I think she said swimsuit. That was my, that was my mind, I guess. <laughs> which takes us to habit number four, which is reduce. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Sarah. Very witty. Yes, it's reduce reactivity and nurture proactivity or productivity as well. So it's a matter of, again, when I talked about working from the ego and getting reactive is not the place to be. It creates a culture that is constricted and restricted, but going from the place of nurturing proactivity and having organizations where there's lunch and learns, where there's uh, some of the staff, I've been in organizations where they had staff coming at lunches and teaching people photography or knitting or different creative endeavors. So it's nurturing proact proactivity and nurturing their ability. And again, creating that safe place for people to step outside of the box, right? I had one organization, I'm a producer. And so we had to do a presentation for our marketing team. And I thought we can get up there and saying, well, this year, the training says blah, 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 or I created a video. And I had it, uh, it was an honoring of the property managers at the resorts. And we did it like a, with a sepia tone and my colleagues and I on our off time got together, took pictures. I had music behind it. And um, I had a boss that was okay with getting out of the box. And so we ended up showing it at the uh, marketing meeting and the vice president of marketing came by and said, Therese, can I show that at the executive team meeting tonight? And then the president of the company, a massive company, comes to my desk and said, Teresa, I never laughed so hard in my life. <laughs> but I had a boss who was willing to step out of the box and give me that space. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we only have a few minutes and we haven't even gotten through everything. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, no, I'm not at all. <laughs> I'm I'm just, uh, you know, I want to I want to let people know that habit five is encourage. Mm -hmm. Habit six is shift shift from selfishness to self-fullness. Mm -hmm. Habit seven is embrace diversity in the workplace. Embrace. Um, habit eight is neutralize negativity. And habit nine is thank. Um, and maybe we'll have a second to go back to some of these, but I am interested in um, hearing about your solo show a little bit. What was, what was that about? I wrote, a, okay, so when I left acting in Vancouver, I said, someday I'm going to come back on my terms. Enough of these cattle calls and beer commercials and agents. Uh, I wrote a one-woman show. I'd gone to India in 2013 and did a one-month intensive, and then I went to do Vipassana meditation, where it was a 10-day silent retreat, 12 hours of meditating a day. I had all these experiences. And so I started writing a show about actually the princesses and a rewrite of the fairy tale princesses. And then I integrated that into the, my trip to India. So in India, 
I go into a meditation. It's all the true story about my experience there. And I fall into four of the different characters. I actually play 14 characters in the show. But Rapunzel put herself in the tower. She was a German hiker. And then Cinderella was this little French kitten, very sexy. But she, she <laughs> liked to hide away. And she was an obsessive compulsive cleaner. And then we have um, Queenie, who was the old princess in the pea and got herself was too darn sensitive. And then we have Belle at the end. And it's very funny, but it's also very thought provoking. Belle is a hedonist and she's overweight and loves the heck out of herself just the way she is. She hands me a mirror in the end and says, what do you see? And I struggle. I struggle with it. So I, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I'll do it. I think I have another show bubbling somewhere in my subconscious I'll bring out. So yeah. Thank you. I wish Excellent. our listeners could see Teresa's faces with each one of these characters because they're just <laughs> delightful. So we have just a moment left and I just wondered in, in a, in a sentence or so, can you tell me what's one tool or piece of advice you would give our listeners um, to, to move forward with morning mindset? Thank you. I think habit seven is really important and it was a tough chapter to write. It was embracing diversity, diversity also being about mental illness and social issues, people having anxieties, fears, people, acting in ways that we're not comfortable with. And in that, I actually have a table that kind of outlines the behaviors and how to respond to them in a way that can be more productive. So if there's anything I would suggest, it's honoring of us all and finding that heart place that we can soften into whatever we're experiencing and whomever we're dealing with. Awesome. Thank you so much. I know we only got to be prez, but, uh, you know, we will... <laughs> Oh, Jim, look what you just scripted. <laughs> we, will, we, we will get going. We will. So we'll hopefully have you back and we can get into more detail about the rest of Be Present there. Thank I you so that. much for coming on Big Universe, Teresa. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy. For more great information about Teresa Pushkar, please go to TeresaPushkar.com and that's P-U-S-K-A-R.com. For more great information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses. I help to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, listeners. I'm Jim Lefter with Sarah Bowen, and we'll talk to you the next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.